thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in the book of John, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. We are in the Gospel of John. If you'd like to turn there with me, we're working our way nice and quickly through the first chapter. Uh, Today we'll be in verses 6 through 13 of chapter 1. We have been working through this Gospel of John, and we've established again kind of the the point, the the purpose behind this book was to to help everyone understand that Jesus is God and that in believing in Jesus' name, we can have salvation, that we can have that. And so the question that maybe has always been predominantly asked over and over and over again by anyone in one version or one iteration of it is how might we be saved? How do we come to faith in God? How do we become children of God? A question that in some ways for the context of the people that John is writing to had already been answered in most of the way for them. They knew that children of God were the people of Israel and the Gentiles were needing to be grafted in or there was this this kind of this murmur and this statement coming about there's this man, Jesus, that has brought the Gentiles into being children of God. And that's what the gospel of John is trying to do. That's what he is trying to establish. He's saying, look, there's, there's a way that we can be in a right relationship with, with God. For us today, maybe it's a how do we get to heaven question or, or what is good enough or what do we need to do or what must we do so that we can have peace if there is an afterlife or whatever iteration of that question happens, every single person at one point in another in their life has thought it, has questioned it, has wondered if it is there or what is going to come from that. That is what the question that hopefully we will know a little bit more on how to answer through this book as we go through it entirely. Let's read in verse uh, 6, picking up there. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet The world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so in here we get this kind of this beginning part. Some scholars think that verse 6 through 8 was kind of the beginning of this book that kind of got lobbed in here. Either way, this is speaking about John the Baptist. We're going to talk about him a little bit later in chapter 1 because it goes into him quite a bit. But what it, a couple things that are established here is it says that John the Baptist, not the Apostle John who wrote this book, John the Baptist came to witness. Now when we think of a witness, witnesses in kind of our, our judicial system is someone that comes to testify, to, to tell, to speak of the truth uh, based on what they saw. They, they were a witness to something. They, they had seen it, they knew what was going on, and therefore they're the ones that are going to speak about this. And so he says, look, John the Baptist was a witness to the light. 
Now, there's a statement about him not being the light, and, and some think that's because of the fact that there were still some disciples that were following John the Baptist, even after Jesus' resurrection. We see that in Acts, where there's a few of John the Baptist's disciples, where, where Paul greets him. He's like, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? And they're like, what? No. So we know that there were some that maybe stayed true to John the Baptist, but we find from John the Baptist that even when people are saying, hey, that guy over there is baptizing, John says, I must decrease and he must increase. But the whole point and the whole purpose and the whole reason for John the Baptist was to witness, to bear witness like Elijah to the Messiah, to speak ahead of the Messiah, to be a witness to him. We're going to talk a lot about that. But ultimately, this role that John the Baptist plays is a complete kind of coming to fruition of prophecy that came beforehand of the Messiah and what will happen there. And so this is what's happening. Now, that being said, every single Christian minister or ministry, every single purpose, whether you're serving as an usher or you're serving as a full-time missionary or as, as a pastor, whatever role it is, none of those are higher than the other. We talked about that through Corinthians about the gifting of the Spirit. All of those are on a flat level playing field. The purpose behind everything that we do is to bear witness to Jesus Christ. If we lose sight of that, we become paid professionals. We start thinking that our ministry is more valuable than it really is. We start thinking about our position. This is why I struggle so much with the idea behind Christian celebrities, like pastor celebrities, is because the whole purpose is that we must be decreasing so that he can increase. The entire purpose of how we serve and why we serve and what we're doing should always, in word and deed, be pointing to Jesus Christ. People should see Jesus Christ in the way you work at the workplace. People should see Jesus Christ in the way that you interact in your marriage. People should see Jesus Christ in the way you are with your kids and what you do with your hobbies and how you live with your money. Jesus Christ should be pointed to in every aspect of your life. We should be witnesses to Jesus Christ. We'll talk a lot more about John the Baptist a little bit further down here. He says in verse 9, then he says, The true light, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now the coming into the world is to speak of the incarnation, the Jesus putting on flesh and coming, which we're going to talk a lot about in verse 14 next week. But this is him coming into the world. Now what's interesting is there's, it's, it's that he says he gives light to every man. Now some would say that this is like, okay, well then just like Jesus died for the whole world, so then, then this is a universal salvation, that light is going to be for everyone. Everyone gets light, and that's just what happens. No, it, it's not speaking of that. Instead, it means that Christ, as the light, shines on each person, either in salvation or in illuminating with him in regard to his sin and the coming judgment. Jesus is going to be the light. He's going to, it, sh it shines on every man and divides everyone. Those who hate the light respond as the world does. We see that in verse 10 here right afterwards. They flee lest their deeds should be exposed by the light. We'll talk about that in chapter 3, verse 19. Or some receive this revelation, which is down here in verse 12 and 13, and then testify of their deeds have been done through God, which we also see in chapter 3. So, so there's this idea that Jesus comes into the world, he puts on flesh, and that he is Light. Now, we also see all over Scripture, when, when Jesus has the transfiguration, what is it? He's light. When he reaches, when he meets with Paul on the road to Damascus, it's a bright light. So Jesus encompasses light. We know in the resurrection that there is no need for the sun because God and Jesus is the light. So it's not just a metaphorical light. It is a true light 
But what he's talking about here and the way it's used is just brilliant. In, in, in the Greek, the way this is written is just absolutely brilliant. I do not have enough time to kind of work into it, but I'll tell you a couple things that are happening. First off, he uses the word world. This is the first time it shows up in this. And world is kind of used three different ways in Scripture. World is the physical, the globe, the world. There is the world of kind of the, the men or the, the people in the world. And then predominant use of the world is of darkness. The, the world in under slavery to Satan. And that's the three ways that the world is used over and over and over again throughout Scripture. What's really crazy is in this one verse, in verse 10 here, he uses all three. He uses all three. He says in verse 10, he says, he was in the world, the physical world. He showed up in the world, and the world was made through him. The people were made through him, and yet the world, the dark world, did not know him. And so we see all three of those used in one quick verse. He's saying, look, this is the thing you have to understand. I am in the world. Jesus came into the world, which again, this was speaking to the, the pagan belief that, that spirituality was good, but matter was evil. Why would a good God take on physical matter? It didn't make sense to a lot of the Greek philosophers and what they were doing. And so he's saying, no, Jesus came into the world. In fact, and then all of the world was made through him. So to say that the world is evil just because of matters is, is a fallacy. It's not what God teaches. But ultimately, the world did not know him. And this, world, this word know here is another word that in our language, it's like, oh, like ideology or I, I, I didn't know. This is the same word that's used for, for Adam knowing his wife Eve. It's an intimate knowing. It's not just an idea. It's more than just a head knowledge. It's a, it's a connection, did not, did not relate to him, did not enter into intimacy with him. The world did not know him. That's what's being used here in this world. And then it says, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now, this is a big statement. Because when he's talking about coming to his own, it, most people would know that the people of God are the children of Israel. They knew this. They said, no, this is, this is who we are. We are the children of Israel. And the true light, the, the true Jesus light, this true is authenticity or completeness. Um, in Hebrew, it primarily stress, stresses like steadfastness. So Jesus is this true light. And when he came to his own people, the people of Israel, the children of God, they did not receive him. They did not know him. This is an interesting thing because if Jesus is the true light and God came for the world, which we know, we see, then, then why didn't they receive him? How, how can this happen? Uh, John 3, 16, we all know this, all the way through verse 21 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not, should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world, the people in the world, might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him, there's that word, believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does, wick, who does wicked things 
hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it might, may be clearly seen that this, his works have been carried out in God. In some ways, this is kind of the saddest verse of all of the Bible. God loved the world. He came and his own people, the people that have years and years of history, the people that still hold ceremonial meals at that time about the Passover and the way that God provided for their people, the people that continually went to the sacrificial system to be in right relationship with God, when the Son of God, when the true light, the authentic light, not some fake light, not just light as in a light switch, but light that breaks into darkness that we saw earlier last week that darkness cannot overcome. When that light showed up, the people of God rejected him. They would not believe in him. In rejecting him, they refused to accept him as the revelation sent by the Father and refused to obey his commands. This non-receiving of Jesus by Israel was not merely a matter of not knowing, but a conscious decision of rejection. See, a couple things that are at play here that we have to understand, when he uses words like believing or receiving, we think of them very passive. We think of these words like, oh, I just received, like, here we go. No, to receive is to take hold of, to obtain, or to grasp tightly is the way this is. So he's saying, he's saying, look, the people, God's own people, the people of Israel, they rejected God. And God, they, the reason why they rejected him because they rejected Jesus as the word of God, as the, the true light of God. And they didn't. They took hold of other things. They held on tightly to their, their history. As, as Christians today, in a kind of, we generally have this concept of knowing as, again, intellectual information. Believing as just like, oh, yeah, I kind of believe that. No, like when someone believes, they, they grasp, they, they receive, they hold on. It's not something that can be shaken out of them. It's a deep, deep belief. It's hard to get someone out of that. And even though he came they wouldn't receive or submit to him. It's interesting, the very question that, that plagues us, the angst with which every single one of us feel about whether or not we are or aren't saved comes from understanding, grasping, and holding on to Jesus Christ, and yet he was standing in front of them and they rejected him. We see in Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, with the center of everyone, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. To be saved, we must confess, to acknowledge as true that Jesus is who he says he is, and we must, we must submit to him as Lord, as King, as supreme controller over our life. And every single one of you that are Christians is like, oh yeah, I know this, I know this, and that's great, that's great, okay, okay, great. But the people here knew this. They knew what it was, was said. The message of Jesus wasn't new at this point when John is writing. What had happened is that many of the people had, had heard the idea. They liked the idea. They even maybe believed in the way that we would acknowledge it today where like they made a, a moment of like, yeah, that seems okay. But they didn't really grasp hold of it. Because what happened is they started falling back into their system. To the Jews at this day, it was, well, we're, we're children of God. I mean, we, we, got, we got the name, we got the last name that makes sense. Like, we're, we're a part of it. We've been descendants of Abraham and, and, and Isaac, and we got, we got all this stuff. And to the, to the Gentiles, they've kept feeling like, yeah, but to be true children of God, the Jews are saying you've got to be of this bloodline. 
And those were like, no, but Jesus said he was there and he, he's going to do this and I'm trying to understand it. But at the same point, they were wrestling with this idea of all of their false religions, all of their, all their other idols that they had worshipped, all the temples that they had spent time in. And it was just getting muddy, a very clear statement that when we confess Jesus as Lord, when we believe in him, we'll be saved. And all of a sudden it got muddy. And I think the same is true to us today. Many, few of us are using our Jewish genealogy, to hold us true to it. And very few of us would say we have false religions or other things, but really what it comes down to is we've started trying to put Jesus plus something in everything. We've tried to, we've tried to add things to it, to add validity to the very truth that just says this is it. This is it. You want it, you want it even clearer? Look at 1 John. G- John says this in 1 John 5.13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. See, John knows it's not what you believe, it's in whom you believe in. It's not just a what, it's who. Who is it that you believe in? He goes on and just crushes for us today a modern-day version of our are working out our salvation with works-based things. To them, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a death blow to all of their ideologies and understandings of what they could have in Jesus, in God, by these next statements. He goes on and says this. He says this, which seems so simple to us. In verse 11, it came, he came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Okay, wait. So to all who did receive this, this grabbing hold of, and believed in his name, in the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. That would have been a breath of fresh air for every Gentile in that day. An exhale would happen right there. I, I can be a child of God, but he goes on and just, just to really clear it up. Who were born not of blood or bloods is the way that could be seen. It's plural. Nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now this is where we get messed up today. We don't, we don't hold our genealogy together. We don't say, well, I'm, I'm a son of Abraham, you know, Father Abraham, many sons, I'm one of them, yay. We don't, we, don't, we don't lean on that. We don't rest in that. We rest in sometimes, today, our modern day version is, we rest in what well, my grandpa believed. Or I know someone really well that is really holy. Or what I've seen a lot happen in homes, my wife believes or my husband believes. And we ride the faith of an individual around us as if that's enough. As if it's enough to just, to just ride this. We see this in kids. Why do we have so many? Why are so many of you here today? Your stories are, well, I was raised in the church, but then, because we can't just have our parents' faith. We can't just proclaim that we have been saved because our parents were saved at some point. We have to have our own confession. So many of us wouldn't, say we are Jewish or any other thing, we would say we know someone who's holy. Or we maybe would say we spent a lot of time in the church. This is one I hear very regularly. Well, I grew up in the church, so I feel like I got that kind of settled. This whole, like, Jesus thing, I settled it when I was 15, that really cool, snot-filled Kleenex night, the youth group meeting came forward, I was bawling. And it's not that that wasn't there, but then we just say that's enough and nothing else happens. And to acknowledge Jesus as Lord is to submit yourself and obey to him. 
you can't just acknowledge that he saves you. It's, it's, it's a submission thing. Well, I don't, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but we're probably not the best at submitting. Even that, that sounds like a four-letter word when I say that word to most of us. But to submit to Jesus is to live for him. To become children of God is a work holy on God's operation. He says the other thing, the will of men or fleshly birth, and he says the will of fathers. This is kind of just basically saying like sexual desire, like meaning that, that God, you're not made children of God by sex. You're not made children of God by the way that we understand children are procreated. You are made children of God, not by the will of men, but the, and he switches the word here, but by the power of God. That word switches from kind of the, 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 these things, this right, this what we're doing, this will, to power of God. How has it happened? It's not by our will. This is one that I think we as the church today are most struggling with. We believe, if you ask, why would you say, if I ask, if, let's say my little son, four-year-old Judah, comes over and says, why are you saved? You know how much he would hear from people? Well, because I go to church, because I do good stuff, because I, I, I believe for a long time. How many people say, because the Son of God is my light because Jesus Christ died for me. Maybe we get there sooner or later, but most of us, our answer isn't what he has done for us. It's what we do now. We make it about our will, our flesh. We make it about how we operate or we do comparisons. I'm not as bad as so-and-so, so I must be doing okay. Like I've, I've made it further along than this person. I'm better than my brother, or I'm better than this person, or I, I know what this person does in my gospel community, and so I'm, I'm not as far off of them. And we start making our understanding of being in the family of God, becoming children of God, based on some of our will, when he says it's not by any of our will, it's only by the power, the will of God. He is the one that makes us have the right to be called children of God. And it's him. The birth of child of God is not of natural birth. It's a supernatural work of God in regeneration. A person welcomes Jesus and responds in faith and obedience in him, but the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit is the cause of the regeneration. We see this later on in John 3, 5 through 7. It says, truly, truly. Remember, again, when Jesus says, truly, truly, amen, amen, what I'm about to say is true. It's honest. It's 100%. It's there. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. One scholar says it this way. In other words, there will be a powerful transformation of those who embrace the light, who align themselves with the light instead of darkness, and who cling to the Messiah instead of the world. And how does that happen? By believing in the name of Jesus. Believing like knowing has a totally different meaning. It's not just head information. It implies acceptance of Jesus to the full extent of his revelation. Believing is the entirety of his message is true, not just an aspect of it, not just this, okay, I'll be taken care of in heaven someday. Again, it's not what you believe, it's in whom you believe. One scholar says it this way, he says, to be a child of God, however, means to accept personally the incredible reality of the coming of the Logos into the human situation. Clearly to know and believe personally that the power of the universe is able to touch your life means that one can be adopted into the family of the word and become a child of God. Believing in the name is not 
much. We, we carry around the idea of reputation. If we know a name, that's where it is. But to, to this generation, to these people, the name meant a lot. In the Old Testament, the idea of a name is related directly to a person's or being's, or being's nature. The name was, was more than just, oh, I like this name. It sounds cool when it rolls off the tongue and there's not too many slang ways that kids can make fun of them in school. Like, that's not the way they did names then. The names there are different. At when Adam was given the task of naming the animals in Genesis 2.20, th- that was the Hebrew way of saying that he understood the nature and therefore was their authority to name them. To receive a new name in the Old Testament is symbolic of having a new relationship or a new nature. We see this in Abram. First name kind of meant big father, boss. But his new name meant that he was seen as the father of multitude, Abraham. We saw this in Jacob, the usurper is what his name meant, was transformed and received the new name of Israel, the prince of God, when Jesus had done those things. And, in, and wrestled, when he wrestled with God at Jabbok, did he, he receive God's blessing? In that incident, Jacob was also known, also wanted to know the name of God, just as Moses had begged to know the name of God. And what does God answer? I am. I am who I am. When we... When we proclaim his name, we're calling out his name. There's power in name. To believe in the name is not just to say, I believe in the name of Jesus. The reason why we say there's power in the name of Jesus is because it's the representation of who Jesus is. It's not just his name. It's not just Bren. It's Jesus. It's, It's power. To receive him means, as this verse indicates, is to believe in his name. To believe in a person's name is to believe in the person because the name stands for the person. Receiving him involves submitting to the teaching and revelation of God that he brought. 1 John 5, 1 says this again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. You believe you are born of God. And the reason why is because believe is not just that that name existed, not that just he was a historical figure, but it means that everything that that name represents, everything that Jesus Christ, Messiah, represents is Lord, is peace, is my king. One scholar says it this way. It says the combination in, in this first, uh, 1 John 5.1 where everyone who believes and then has been born of God. There's, you see two tenses there. The combination of present tense believes and perfect tense has been born is important. It shows clearly that believing is the consequence, not the cause, of the new birth. Our present continuing activity of believing is the result and therefore the evidence of our past experience of new birth by which we became and remain God's children. This is something we've all felt. How do you know you're children of God? Is it just by you went to church enough, you gave enough money, you did enough good things? No, it's, it's through Jesus Christ alone. And yet, for some reason to us today, that loses its power. We forget the angst that we felt prior to knowing Jesus. The angst that we felt looking for an answer in this world, looking for hope in something other than Jesus. And, and, and dare I say, some of us have started to look to the world for hope even though we have the hope of the world in Jesus Christ. One pastor says it this way, we begin to kind of understand our existential angst because we've been created by Jesus for Jesus. That makes sense as to why we can't seem to get fully satisfied long with anything else in creation because we have not been made by our work for our work, 
We have not been created by our spouse for our spouse, by our friends for our friends, by our money for our money, or by our position for our position. We have been created by Jesus for Jesus, and our souls will never rest until they find rest in him. And this is what John is doing. He's laying out, so look, this is the world is created. Jesus knows everything there is to know about the world. And he came in, walked, he incarnated, he puts on flesh, and he walks his perfect life. He gives us a way so that we can now, as having no right to be children of God, can be grafted in, can become adopted in sons and daughters of God, the Most High King, and inherit all that comes with being a child of God. And that happens only through Jesus Christ. And there are people with this angst. And we have this light. So what do we do with this? This is the part that just lit a fire under me this week. What do we do with this? If we have hope, I don't know if you've looked around at all in the news or anywhere since 2020 began, there's a whole lot of hopelessness in this world. And it is sad to me how many Christians are perpetuating this hopelessness. We have the hope of Jesus. We don't need the angst. We aren't made by this world for the world. We are made by Jesus for Jesus. We live as his children. We have this hope. So what do we do with this? We have the answer, the, the, the burning question that every single person has. It's engrafted on their soul. They see it. Romans tells us that every single person can feel the sense. Their conscience is, is grafted in with this idea that there is something better than them. There's something greater than them, that they were made for something. Everything they look at when they marvel at, at the Grand Canyon or anything else, they realize this is a fingerprint of God. Their souls feel it. And we have the answer. So what we should do is we should build our little kingdoms, work as hard as we possibly can for that last 25 years of our lives and retire comfortably knowing that we have the answer. No. No, that's not what we're supposed to do. If we have the hope and the answer, we should be sharing this, not just verbally, but indeed, not just indeed, but verbally. The, the hope of the world is, is ours, and it's ours not by our doing, by our will, or by our bloods, or by the way we were born, but because the power of God has transformed our lives, and we now have the hope. We carry with us into the workplace, into our neighborhoods, into our homes, the hope of Jesus Christ. How in the world is this not something that every single person around us is enamored with? Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. He says, you, you are the light of the world. Now hear that. We just established that he's the true light. And now he's looking at his disciples saying, you, you, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. We live our lives in a way that shows the light of Jesus so that all may believe. This is what we do with this. You have the hope of Jesus. You should wake up every morning going, I know Jesus, I'm adopted, I'm righteous, not by anything I've done, not by anything that I've messed up with. I can move forward and every single person I come in contact at school or at work or any other place needs to see this light and I need to start setting it on a, on a nightstand and not underneath a basket. I need to stop hiding it under my shirt. I need to stop being afraid of how I'll be received. I need to stop being afraid of what the world may come at me with. I need to stop being afraid that I might get persecuted because of Jesus. 
When Jesus says, blessed are you when you're persecuted in my name. We should be the people with the most hope and the most joy, no matter what the circumstances are. All of our what-if questions should fade away because we know Jesus. Because we have Jesus. We have the true light and darkness will not overcome it. And no matter how hard they put, 2020 puts a hose of water on the flame of Jesus, it will never extinguish it. So what do we do with this? I'm going to give you a chance to do something that you're probably all going to be really uncomfortable with, but I'm okay with it. Because it's 2020, we're just learning it, right? What do we do with that? Right now, right now, there are people in your life that lack hope. There are family members. There are close friends. There are coworkers. And goodness gracious, we've forgotten. We've forgotten and we've forgotten and we've forgotten because we've been so enamored with just trying to survive 2020 that we forgot that we have a mission. There are people right now in your midst. And right now, even I said that, they popped in your head. Don't think that was me. Believe that's God. God wants you to not just show them Jesus. He wants you to share with them the message of Jesus. You're not going to be able to this. I mean, although I appreciate you, I think it's good to tip a server well, but like giving them a big tip, they're not going to receive and go, oh my goodness, I need the hope of Jesus Christ. He's the son. He's the risen Lord of God. Like that's not going to come out of a tip. We're going to have to share the news of Jesus. We're going to have to proclaim it. And why wouldn't we when it's the light that will that'll squash all darkness? So what we're going to do right now, I'm going to give you guys a second, and then I'm going to close this in prayer. And if you are watching at home, I would encourage you to do the same thing. I don't care if your neighbors hear you. I don't care if you wake up a kid from nap. I want you to start right now. I want you to proclaim the names of the people in your life that God has put in your eye. You have them. I know it because there are hundreds of names written on the studs in these walls. You have people in your life right now that don't know the hope of Jesus. I want you to call that name out. I want you to call that name out. But before you do, before you do, I want you to recognize that calling that name out I'm asking you to commit to share the gospel with that individual. So don't call a name out that you're afraid to do that with. And if you're afraid to do that with, you need to answer the question, what are you afraid of really? What are you embarrassed of? Are you embarrassed of Jesus Christ as being the only hope and light, the true light in this world? The only way to salvation? Are you, uh, are you embarrassed or hoping that this individual that you care deeply about won't be a child of God and live with you in eternity? But call those names out. We're just going to spend a few minutes here. It's going to be awkward. I understand. That's fine. I just want you to call out names. And if those names come out and it just hits you, then you call it another name. And we're going to just remember these names. And I pray, I pray that those names pop up in front of our faces everywhere until we actually share the gospel with that individual. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Only one of two things is going to happen when you share the gospel with someone. They are either going to receive and believe in the name of Jesus or they're going to reject neither of which have anything to do with you unless you hit them with a baseball bat with Jesus' name and say, this is what it is. Maybe that's on you. But they're, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting him, which should grieve us even more because we know that the only hope they have is in Jesus. So let's do it. Let's spend some time. Let's call out names out loud. Share them. The list can go on and on and on. I don't know, we just heard 20 names, 20 plus names in this room alone, 20 to 30 names in this room alone. These are people 
that are walking through this atrocious year with zero hope. Why in the world would we withhold that from them? These are people that don't know what it means to have peace that surpasses all understanding. These are people that don't know what it means to have hope in a future that is not, that is completely unknown. These are people that don't have the power to even run from the slavery with which they are in bondage to, to this world. Why would we not share the hope of Jesus? Band's gonna come up and we're gonna sing. I hope you are plagued with these names that you just shared. I hope that we hear many stories. I hope there's people sitting here next week hearing more about Jesus because of what they heard from you in telling them about Jesus. Do you believe that that's powerful, that that's possible? It's not your will that's going to change the heart of men. It's the will of God. It's the power of God. People that need hope in this broken world. Are you willing to be the witness that God has commanded you to be to point to Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the names that were shared. God, you put them on our hearts, and so I pray, I believe that you're working in their hearts, and God, we pray you transform them by the power of you and your spirit alone, that we'd be blown away by just even sharing the, the, the simplicity of what it means to acknowledge you, to surrender to you, to submit our lives to you, can bring about hope and joy. God, I pray that we would be a church of people that aren't afraid to share the gospel. We'd be a people that are excited to be witnesses for your name. And God, in this, in this world where it is, well, you're fully aware of it, God. <laughs> you love this world so much that you sent your son into this world so that we could have eternal life in him alone and be children of God. The biggest exhale of my life, I am a child of the most high king. Father, we love you. We pray that you would transform the hearts of these individuals. And God, I pray that every single person that said every single name, God, I pray that they'd be on the front of our faces over and over and over again, and we would just continue to pray for them, and you would not relent on us until we have shared faithfully what you've asked us to share, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him 